0: Amen, amen. We're going to take a second and pray before we open God's Word together. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we just come to you today and we honor you because you're worthy. We honor you because you're holy and deserving of all praise. So this morning we do this for you. We ask that as we open your Word for a few moments that it would illuminate the areas of our heart that are not fully surrendered to you and that our lives would be changed forever. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. It is so great to be with you this morning. My name is Pastor Nick Newman, and I want to say welcome. If it is your first time with us, as Matt said earlier, we're not going to point you out or make you feel weird. The only thing that we want to do is, is help connect you with our church. and So we'd love for you to take a second and fill out this card. And at the end of the worship experience, you can drop it in the buckets or take it to the Welcome Center and exchange that for a gift. But church, can you help me welcome every person here for the first time? We're glad, so glad that you're here. Uh, During the summer, we tend to not do a message series. I know some of y'all are like, we got one more week of school. Like, it's coming. So summer is on the way. We just wrapped up a baptism weekend, and and that was absolutely incredible. And so we're heading into this. And so we don't do a message series, but I go away once a quarter and spend some time with Jesus. One of the things that we see Jesus do in Scripture is take time to just connect with the Father and spend time with God. And so I was in the mountains. I was praying, and I was kind of like, you know, God, what do you want to talk about this weekend? We don't really have a message series planned. It's, a, it's one of those standalone messages. And, uh, and I read the most frustrating parable I've ever read in Scripture. And so I want to share that with you this morning. If you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 20. That's where we're going to be reading today. But Jesus is telling uh, the story, what Jesus teaches, he teaches a lot of times in what are called parables. Parables are stories that Jesus would tell to better illustrate the way things work in his world. So we identify Jesus as a king, and as a king, a king has a kingdom, and in his kingdom, things operate a little bit differently than they operate in the regular world. And so Jesus is talking, and he says this in Matthew chapter 20. Beginning in verse 1, "...for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And after agreeing, agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for a day." So at the very beginning of this, we have a vineyard owner. He guy owns a vineyard. He didn't have enough kids to facilitate the amount of labor that was necessary. And so he goes to hire some workers. They agree that he's going to be paid one denarius. A denarius would be considered a day's wage. So there's Jesus telling a story. There's a guy with a vineyard going to pay these guys to work a day's wage for working on the day. Verse 3, When he went out about nine in the morning... He saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. So he said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. At about noon and at about three, he went out again and he did the same thing. And then at about five, he went out and he found some other lazy people standing around. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. It says he found some others standing around and he said to them, hey, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? They said, because no one hired us. He said, I can fix that. Verse 7 says, you also go into my vineyard, he told them. And When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers together and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. And when those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came and they also, uh, they assumed that they would get more because The other people received the denarius, but they, too, received the denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour worth of work, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of a hard day's work and in the burning heat. And he said to them, Friend, you ever had that person when you're like irate and they're all super calm? This is what's happening. These guys are frustrated. They're like... You paid these people the same amount of money? I've been working all day. You don't understand. It was hot. There was weeds. I don't know what's in the vineyard. It was hard work. It was difficult. It was frustrating. I've been working since 6 a.m., and these people come in. By the time they get their boots strapped up, they've worked 30 minutes, and we got paid the same amount of money? Not today. (laughs) He's like, friend, be calm. (laughs) He says this. He said, friend, um, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on one denarius? Take what is yours and go. I want to give these last men the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? And then Jesus wraps it up and he says, so the last will be first and the first Last. Now, that's an incredibly frustrating passage of Scripture. Because when I read it, when I think when you read it too, we all read this and go, that's not fair. There were some men who worked all day long and they received one denarius. And then the guys who only worked an hour got the same amount of money. That's not fair, I know. What Jesus is trying to do is Jesus is trying to show you and I that in his kingdom, things work a little bit different. And today, here's what I want you to know. God's not fair. Like it would be easy for us to get frustrated and go, it's not fair. God, you're not fair. And he's like, I know I'm right. That's why I put it in there. The whole reason why Jesus tells parables is to show how the kingdom of God works. And so there's a couple of things that we tend to get frustrated on in the arena of fairness that I want to talk with you about. The first one is they get frustrated with the the timing of this landowner. He hires differently. He didn't go out at 6 a.m. and hire everybody all at once. That would have been easy. They just gather everybody. Everybody works from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's a solid 12 hours. You earned your one denarius. Therefore, I'm just going to hire everybody at 6 a.m. Landowner doesn't do that. He grabs a couple of guys at 6 a.m. Then he comes back three hours later. And you know, this is how it works if you've ever done a project. You know how many Lowe's trips you have to make in a day? Right? This is what's happening. <laughs> he goes back into the market at 9 o'clock. Hires another round of people. Goes back at 12 o'clock, because you got to take lunch. Hires another group of people. Goes back at 3 o'clock, and then again at 5 o'clock, hiring more and more people. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get frustrated with the timing of God. Because yeah. it's not fair. Right. So I look at my life. God, I've got to faithful. I've been obedient. I've been working all day and yet you want to give them the same? God, God, I've been working this job for three years. They've been here for three months, and they get a raise? God, it's not fair. He's like, I know I'm not fair. We get frustrated with the timing of God. You've been faithful. You've been following God wholeheartedly, and, and everybody else can get pregnant, but you can't get pregnant? Yeah, it, it, it's not fair. I know. God's not fair. Second thing that happens, we look at the landowner, and we we see that he contracts differently, so there's different expectations. At 6 a.m., he's having a conversation with the first group of people. They show up, he goes to hire them, and he's like, all right, so here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I'm gonna fill out all this paperwork and you're gonna work all day. I'm gonna pay you one denaire. They're going through contracts agreements, contract agreements at 6 a.m. Do you wanna know what you don't want to do at 6 a.m.? Contract agreements. I don't want to have a conversation with you at 6 a.m. If I have to work at 6 a.m., I want to work, much less put some paperwork together. First group of people, no, we got to have an agreement. we got to have paperwork. we got to do all this stuff for you and I to agree that what you're going to give me and what I'm going to give me is deemed fair. So that's what they do. They come up with an agreement. Second group of people, the 9 a.m. people, it's only been three hours. The owner of the vineyard shows up, and he's like, hey, why aren't you guys working? You want a job? Just go in, I'll pay you whatever I think is fair. That's not what he did with the first group of people. There's different expectations. The next group of people have a different set of expectations. The group at 5 o'clock know that they're not going to have to work very long. There's different expectations for people. And sometimes I think the expectations that God has for people are unfair. So like God, what you need to know is that God has different expectations for people who are not followers of Jesus and people who are followers of Jesus there's different expectations. And where you and I tend to get frustrated with people is when we put our own expectations on the expectations of other people. So like God has told me something. God's told me a way to live my life or things to do with my life. And now I expect you to live my convictions out in your walk with God. God has different expectations. You say, that's not fair. I know God's not fair. There's different expectations for people who consider themselves followers of Jesus and those who step into positions of leadership. Like the moment you have spiritual authority, Scripture says you're held to a higher standard. There's different expectations. There's a different weight to this thing. And you go, that's not fair. I know God's not fair. Are you encouraged yet? (laughs) God's not fair. Third thing is, is now we get into compensation. He pays differently. You would think that if you and I worked 12 hours, we would get pay, paid for 12 hours. And if we worked one hour, we would get paid for one hour. But that's not how the owner of this vineyard worked. You ever been frustrated that somebody else is doing better than you financially? You think, man, God, that's not fair. And he'd go, I know. I'm not fair. I'm going to wrap this up. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> First point for you this morning is this God is not fair. He's good. God is not fair. He's good. And when you and I talk about fairness, here's what we talk about: sameness. I want the same thing. Sameness. So fairness is is equal to sameness. But God is not a God of fairness or sameness. God is a God of justice, which is rightness. So God is in the business of doing what is right, not what is fair or the same. You ever had a coworker who like would come to you and be like, Hey, hey, you ever seen so and so? And like, yeah, yeah, they're on vacation. Well, I I want a vacation. Why? Why can't I go on vacation? When? Why, when did this become about you? It's not about you. Well, I think we should we should all get we should all get a vacation because that's that's fair. That's that's not how life works. <laughs> if if all of us went on vacation, then then the business would shut down. Yeah, but that's that's fair. God's God's not fair, but He's good. I think what the vineyard owner is trying to show you and I is that that man, he's not fair at all, but he is. Good, and that's the beauty of the good news of Jesus is that God isn't fair, but he's good. You and I don't need God to be fair because we're not the same. God doesn't love, I'm gonna debunk a myth for you. God does not love you and I equally. He loves us uniquely because he's a good heavenly father who loves his children. And parents, here's what you know. You don't love your kids equally. You love them uniquely. There are individual things that that make up each and every single one of the kids that you have, and there's an individualistic love that you have for them. Sometimes you don't like them, but you love them. (laughs) God doesn't love us equally. He loves us uniquely because he is a God of rightness, not a God of sameness and fairness. But as the king of this kingdom, God is the one who also gets to determine what's right. Because a lot of times when we say, oh, it's not fair, there's one or two things that we really mean. is that, A, I want things to be the same as long as it works out in my favor. So I'm all for fairness and equality as long as I benefit from it. Or the second is, God, I want things to be fair because when they're not fair, it shows me that you don't value what I value. And God doesn't. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so what happens sometimes when we think about fairness is we come to Scripture and go, everything needs to be fair. It doesn't need to be fair. It needs to be right. It needs to be true. So I don't get to come to Scripture and go, well, you know, if you look at the context here, I know it says it's sin, but let's be honest. It's 2019. <laughs> and it doesn't work. Right. God's not fair. You're know, like, man, that's, a, that's a, it's a tough standard. Yeah, it is the whole point of Jesus. Oh man, that seems impossible to live up to. I know, that's the goodness of Jesus. That's why you and I needed Jesus. We live in a in a day in an age where people take Scripture and we just twist it and manipulate it or contort it to whatever we deem fair. That's not how God works at all. And you say, well, I, why do you accept Scripture as truth? Because I've realized if I'm my own source of morality, I'm in deep water. Like, if I'm the gauge for what's right and wrong, just ask my wife, we in trouble. I can't be my own gauge for what's right and wrong. I need a source that existed before I existed. I need a source that is unwavering and unchanging and consistent, and that's what we find in the truth of God's Word. Can I give a good amen somebody? God's not fair, but He's good. The problem is, this is where these people... Found themselves in trouble is chapter twenty verse twelve. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. What did they do? They got stuck in comparison. Comparison is a deadly trap for a follower of Jesus. They said, "God, I've been doing this. God, I've I've been faithful. I've been working. I've been doing this." And they, God, have you seen their Instagram lately? There's no way they love you. They love them. It's just selfies. <laughs> Comparison is such a deadly trap for you and I. I've realized in my walk with Christ that, that I have to stay focused on my own life rather than the lives of everybody else otherwise you and I will get stuck in this consistent trap of comparing what God's doing in my life versus what God's doing in their life and it will only lead to bitterness, frustration and anger. I'll tell you a story I went to the gym one time yeah it was one time so <laughs> I was at the gym and and, uh, and I was getting ready to run on the treadmill and I don't like running I know some of y'all are in here and you're like I love running we pray for you because like that's a ridiculous sport so I get on the treadmill, which is even worse because it's like, oh, I don't want to run outside, but I'll run in place for 30 minutes. It's like useless. So anyways, getting get on the treadmill, hopping on. I start jogging. All of a sudden, I see this dude who like, I don't know, he was ripped. Like not even like, oh, he's fit, looking good. No, like dude's probably not getting a new body when he gets to heaven. Okay, like he's <laughs> that muscular. He gets beside me. We start running. I'm a competitive person, so <laughs> I'm jogging. And I look to the side, and he looks back at me. Here's what he did. Full eye contact, and he just starts hitting his button up. He's running. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay, you're going to do that? Mr. CrossFit, Cross is my fitness. I can do all things through Christ. So I start running. I'm running, I'm running. I'm upping my button, and I'm just hitting it. I'm staring at him, and I'm running. And it's hurting, but I'm running. And then all of a sudden, I look over at him, and and. The back of my foot, or the front of this foot, hit the back of this one. And I I buckled (laughs) on the treadmill. I hit so hard, hit the the treadmill, and went out the back. (laughs) You know what I realized that day? I will always trip if I watch somebody else run. If you and I get so focused on the way other people run their race, we will consistently be tripped up in our own. Comparison is a deadly trap. Look at what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he is deceived. Let each person examine his own work. And then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with anyone else. I don't have to get focused on... The way you do things, I don't have to get focused on, well, God expects this of me, and does he expect that of you? I don't have to do any of that. Here's what I have to do. I have to run my own race. I have to examine my own work. I can take pride in what God is doing in me and through me, and I don't have to compare myself with anyone else. When you get to that place, I think you'll be a whole lot healthier in life. Don't focus on other people's races. And, and you say, well, I don't know if maybe maybe you're just pulling that out of the text. Jesus intentionally went to the guy in Matthew chapter 20, and he, said, he says, hey, Foreman, here's what I want you to do. I know you've been doing this whole payroll thing for a little bit, but like, I want you to pay the last guy first and the first guy last. He's like, boss, that's not, that's not how we pay people. You're gonna make me hate it. I, I know. Just, just do it. Because what he's doing in this moment is he's revealing the heart condition of the first workers. See, you have to know, there's some things that God allows you to see and witness for the purpose of bringing the impurities of your own heart to the surface. So what happens is they would have never known what these last men made if they would have paid them the way they normally pay. You got, your, you got your money. You went on your way. You received one denary. Perfect. The problem is they paid the last guys first, and so they're watching people get paid down the line. And the guy who worked last gets paid, and it's like, oh, oh, he got one. I know we said one, but pff, he worked for 30 minutes. I worked for like 12 hours. I know he's going to pay me more. second guy, he got one. That's, that's a little strange. He gave him the same amount, even though the guy worked. He said, hey, hey. Hey, 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 God, that's not fair. I know that's how the kingdom works. It's not fair. And then Jesus looks at the disciples. I think if Jesus had them old man glasses, he would have been like this. So now you see what I mean when I say that the first will be last and the last first. This is one of the most misused passages of Scripture. This is typically what... Christian parents tell their kids when they lose a baseball game, and uh, it's, <laughs> your kid's not an athlete. It's cool. Like, just stop trying to force them to be one. The first will be last, and the last will be first. That's not what that means at all. What Jesus is trying to do for you and I is show us how the kingdom of God works. Right. And you say, that's frustrating. I know. But do you know what the whole point of this parable is? It's for you and I to remember this. Number two. Remember that you are the evening worker. You are the evening worker. Jesus has told this parable, and he said, yeah, there's been people who who are working, and from the very early part of the morning all the way through the end of the day, these last guys come in, and they receive what they didn't deserve. If you've ever had somebody tell you a story, you know what you do nine times out of ten is you see yourself somewhere in the story. I think the whole purpose of this parable is that we would not see ourselves as the frustrated early morning worker, but that we would see ourselves as the evening worker. Yeah. That Jesus would show you and I that, hey, when, because we have a king who has a kingdom, and that king is in the business of giving people what, we, what they don't deserve, we need to remember that God gives us what we don't deserve. So when we get frustrated about the fact that God isn't fair and I get mad and go, God, that's not fair. How could you do that? We need to be reminded that the very grace that we're frustrated about that God gave to other people is the same grace that he extends to us. This is the problem that Jonah had. If you've ever read the story of of Jonah, what happens in Jonah's life is Jonah hears from God, go to Nineveh. Jonah's like, not doing that. So he goes the opposite direction. Gets on a boat. Jonah's on this boat. Things get a little bit rocky. Storms are happening. They realize it's Jonah's fault. Jonah gets tossed overboard. And what Jonah deserves in this moment is to drown in the middle of the ocean. He disobeyed God. That's what scripture says is that the for the wages of sin are death. So when you and I sin, we deserve death. Jonah deserved to drown in the middle of the ocean. But the end of verse or chapter one says, But the Lord arranged for a fish to swallow Jonah. That's grace. Jonah should have drowned, but the Lord swallowed him by a fish. Now, sometimes grace comes in mysterious ways. If I saw a fish open in its mouth, I'm not thinking grace. (laughs) I'm thinking death. Jonah gets swallowed, and it's in the belly of a fish that he's brought to a place of repentance. So he repents. He says, God, I, I messed up. When, when I was at my worst, you were there. When I cried out, you helped me. And then the fish spits him up out on the shore. And Jonah doesn't run away from God. This time he walks with God to Nineveh. They get to Nineveh. Jonah preaches a five-word sermon. Thousands of people repent. Lord, the Lord saves the city. And Jonah goes up to the top of the hill and he sits under a tree. He goes, God, this is why I didn't want to do it. I knew you were going to forgive people. You you sent me there to preach on forgiveness and repentance, and and I just knew. I knew if I went, you were actually going to save them. Yeah. Jonah, the same grace that rescued you from the belly of a fish and gave you a second chance is the same grace that God gave the people of Nineveh. Isn't it so easy sometimes, even though we've been forgiven of much, to forget that God still forgives other people in the same way? You and I have to be people who understand that we are the evening worker. We are the people that God chooses to give what we don't deserve to us. Like God gives us what we don't deserve because he gave Jesus what we deserve. I love what 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says. Paul is writing to his uh, apprentice, his mentee that he's been investing into. And Paul says, this is a trust." This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Disclaimer, you should tweet it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Perfect. That, what an incredible statement. Hey, if you're, he's looking at Timothy and he's saying, Look, you're in ministry now, you're doing the work of the Lord. That's incredible. Here's what you need to remember that Jesus came to save sinners. Got that. And then he goes, And I'm the worst of them. And Paul doesn't say that to Timothy so that Timothy would go, yeah, Paul, you're right, you're a terrible individual. No. Paul says, Christ came to save sinners, and I need to remember that I was one of those people that he came to save. That If you looked at the laundry list of my sin issues, if you looked at my mistakes, if you looked at my faults and my flaws and my failures, you would see that when God came to save me, I got what I didn't deserve. He said, but. I received this mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, his extraordinary patience. That he would demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him. I think sometimes we get so frustrated at the vineyard worker or the vineyard owner that we forget about his extraordinary patience with us. The whole point of this parable is to point you and I to the fact that God doesn't give you and I what we deserve. That's how it works in His kingdom. He's not fair. He's good. And when we get so frustrated about God, you're not fair. I don't feel like you you did this for them. We need to remember what He did for us. You may not feel like that evening worker anymore. You may feel like the the person who's been working all day, you need to remind yourself, that praise God he doesn't give you what you deserve, but that God in his love, his grace, his generosity, and his mercy would come to save each and every single one of us. John 3.16 is one of the most iconic passages of Scripture. This is the, the, the owner of the vineyard is saying to these people, why are you concerned what I choose to do with my own generosity? Are you jealous? Generosity is right there in Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world or condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The beauty of this parable is we can look at it and go, oh man, God's not fair. And I'm so thankful that he's not. Because if he was, I would have never been invited into his vineyard. If God was fair, I would have received the death that I deserved. But instead, God sent Jesus to die in my place so that in him, I could experience eternal life. I'm so glad that we serve a God who is good. This whole parable points us to Christians who get frustrated. And I think what we need to understand is that the same grace that rescues the drug addict and the prostitute is the same grace that rescues us. We're all on equal playing fields. You and I deserve death, but Jesus died in our place. And because Jesus died in our place, we get to walk in to the vineyard of our Heavenly Father and experience what we don't deserve. every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment, I want to pray for you, pray over you. And there's two prayers that I want to do this morning. The first is I feel like sometimes as Christians, as followers of Jesus, our hearts become a little hardened to those who are new to faith or those who haven't accepted Jesus yet. And so we get frustrated and angry about the grace of God that's been extended to us, but we don't tend to extend it to others. And so what I want to do is I want to pray a prayer over you that the Lord would replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh, that he would give you new eyes to see people like he sees people. God, I come to you right now and I thank you for each and every single person in this room. And, and Lord, for those who have a hard heart and and are frustrated and angry and are struggling wrestling through all of this stuff, Lord. I just pray that that right now the heart, as Ezekiel says, that the heart of stone would be replaced with a heart of flesh. Lord, I pray that you'd give us new eyes to see people as you see them. That we might invite them to experience the the goodness of our vineyard owner, who, praise God, doesn't give us what we deserve. And Lord. I believe there are some people in this room today that that you've never accepted Jesus as your savior. The truth from the very beginning of this parable is that had these evening workers not accepted the invitation from the vineyard owner, they would have never experienced his generosity. They might have heard about how generous he was, but it wasn't until they accepted the invitation that they realized that he was really good. And I think sometimes you and I may get caught up and say, Well, well it's five o'clock, and, and you know, it's a little late. I've been I've been doing this life on my own this whole time, and I don't I don't really know if there's a lot of time for me to work, I don't know if there's a lot of time for me to experience this this vineyard. Here's what you need to know: your life extends past just what we experience today. And by accepting the invitation of God to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You gain access to experience all the gifts of the vineyard. I believe that what God wants to do in your life today is for you to say, hey God, I'll accept your invitation. I don't know what that means necessarily. I don't know what it means to follow you. I don't know what it means to give you everything. But in this moment right now, I'm willing to say, I need you as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life and change me. If that's you and you'd say, hey, Pastor, I need to accept that invitation today. Would you just lift your hand for a moment? Say, that's me. I see that. Here's what I want to do. We're not going to pray alone, church. We're going to pray together. Say this with me. Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, will you stand to your feet and help me celebrate with those who made decisions this morning? As you and I continue in worship, we're going to sing a song called Place of Freedom. And I think one of the best things you could do this morning is just go back to that moment where the Lord rescued you, where the Lord saved you, where the Lord redeemed you, and worship from that place. Say, God, I'm so thankful that even in the middle of my mess, even in the middle of my struggle, that you rescued me, you redeemed me, and you gave me a place of freedom. Let's worship.